What's up, Bike Rumor fans? Have you ever wondered how a GPS cycling computer really tracks you? Or why some devices just seem to follow you better than others? This week, I interviewed Thomas Rando, who some of you may recognize as the smooth, calm voice behind Brighton's tutorial videos on YouTube. But if you don't know who Brighton is, I'll fill you in. They're a GPS cycling computer out of Taiwan that is, as they say, big in Europe, and about to make a splash here in the US. And that's a good thing, because they make some really incredible head units, and you're about to find out way more than you ever thought you'd want to know about GPS. I found it fascinating and really learned a lot. So please welcome Thomas Rando. Hey Thomas, welcome to the Bike Rumor Show. Thanks for coming on. Hello Tyler, thank you for having me. We're really excited to get to sit down and talk to you a little bit about Brighton as a brand and what we do. Yeah, cool. Well, you guys do some interesting stuff. We'll have, we probably have just published a review of the new 750 by the time this episode comes out. And I think people are going to be kind of surprised at some of the features. And we'll, we'll dive into that later because there's one that's definitely novel in the space. But first off, who is Brighton? And I'm, I'm coming at that from being a U.S. resident, U.S. customer where Honestly, man, it's most people here, you either have a Wahoo or a Garmin, and I'm sure you guys are looking to change that. And I think you've got the features and the chops to do it. But for people who aren't familiar with the brand, like who's Brighton? Why is it here? Thank you for your question. And thank you for the brief introduction. Brighton is a GPS cyclocomputer company, as you mentioned. We're based here out of Taipei, Taiwan. And what we try to do is we offer a complete range of GPS cyclocomputer related products. So this ranges from everything from sensors and mounts to our line of bike computers, starting at entry level, going all the way up to our high-end model with color touchscreen, high features, Strava, etc. We've been in the global market for about 12 years now. And what we try to do as a brand is we try to share our passion for sports and cycling along with everyday activities with our consumers. So... We hope to inspire people to also explore the outdoors, make new friends, and have fun doing it. And oftentimes with bike-related products, sometimes the price point kind of puts the average person out. So they kind of they see the price tag and they get that sticker shock and they think, maybe the sport's not for me. And especially with head units or bike computers, oftentimes people say, do I need this? You know, What do I really need for a bike? And we try to offer those products at a more reasonable price to get people into the sport so they can also grow that passion like we have. Right on. So let's, uh, I want to start with some simple products. You kind of alluded to or mentioned, you know, having some pretty basic cycling computers with uh, just a speed sensor on it, you know, maybe even wired. I'm sorry, I'm not super familiar with the low end section of your line, you know, the beginner section, but do you do like wired speed sensors where people have to still stick the magnet on the spoke and everything? That's actually a very interesting question. So one thing that makes our products unique in the market is all of our bike computers are completely GPS-powered. Huh. That means uh, using our satellite connection, you actually don't need to hook up any magnets, no sensors are required, but they can be added if you want. So if you're doing an indoor training, you can put on a speed sensor, or uh, if you prefer having a speed sensor, if you do a lot of tunnel riding where there is no GPS connection, that's also available. Right on. Cool. Okay. So what is, what's the price point? I mean, if you know US dollars off the top of your head, because you are based in Taiwan. So we're actually recording. You're at 7 a.m. in the morning, your time, and I'm at 7 p.m. my time. So like, what is the, the lowest cost Brighton GPS computer start at for US dollar pricing? So our most entry level model is the Rider 15 Neo. And this one goes for 69.95. 
And the decision, because I mean, you know, like for if I were to walk into a bike shop, there's probably cycling computers that started like 20, 25 bucks, but they had the wired speed thing. So was the decision for you guys to go all GPS just to keep it super simple or why not offer something that's down at that like 20, $25 price point too? So what we try to do is with the amount of features that we offer, we try to have a GPS bike computer that offers the same or more features at a similar price point. The reason why we try not to go for a wired is oftentimes it can be a little bit confusing to set up for the average person. They need a bike shop to help them out. With wired computers as well, you don't get the convenience of GPS where you can just kind of throw it on, switch it between your bicycles. Me, I have three bikes here. It's easy to take the bike computer off and just mount it on. And as soon as it's on, you're ready to go. So I guess if you had three bikes and you were doing $20 on each one, $20 yeah, $20 computer on each one, there you go, there's 60 bucks. just get the GPS one. I agree. I mean, like, the wires are kind of a pain in the butt. They don't ever look super nice, zip-tied to the fourth leg or something. So, all right, I want to jump because I think people are going to really geek out on this feature. So let's just get to it. The new 750 is the top of the line, and you guys have voice-activated navigation, which is pretty incredible. How does Tell me how that works. So the Rider 750... How it works is we have a companion app called the Brighton Active app, which you can find on the Google Play Store or iOS. And using the Bluetooth connection between the two, you're able to, on your Rider 750, initiate a voice search. So when you do search for a location, let's say I'm trying to find home or I'm trying to find a cafe, you're able to press the record button or press the start button, say something into the device, and it'll use Google to find that search. So it's actually drawing its information the same way that Google Maps would find it. So if I just say cafe, it'll give you a list of cafes in your area, same as Google would. So we really try to add the convenience of your smartphone and help meet the convenience of a GPS by computer, kind of merging the two. Because the big question is always, should I use my smartphone? Should I use a bike computer? And both sides have valid reasons. And we try to merge the two where you don't have to choose. You have both. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Jordan was testing it, and I saw the video he did. He kind of shows it working and stuff. It's super clever. Like, I could see a lot of people really using that. Tell me, what are some of the other standout features of that one that maybe people wouldn't be expecting? So it is a color touchscreen device. And with that, on the screen itself, so when you have your data pages all set up, you have your speed, you have your cadence, your heart rate, et cetera, what we do is we allow you to even add custom graphical data fields. So instead of just showing the speed, we have a graphical speed setting. You've got either the bar or you have the ring. And it makes it a little bit easier to see at a glance. Because I know a lot of people complain that my computer is, oh, the screen's too small. That's why I prefer my phone. But using those graphical data fields, it kind of gives you easier at a glance information. We do have the pre-installed OSM maps, the OpenStreetMap maps with the online navigation. So you do get the live turn-by-turn. You do get the latest information, the latest maps whenever you use it. We also have smart trainer support now with this model. So using that, you can take any of your rides or any ride you have and convert it into a virtual ride. So if you do want to try you know, the track of the Tour de France or a race or even a ride around your neighborhood before you do it, you can put it onto your Rider 750 and follow it on your home smart trainer. And it'll adjust accordingly based on the altitude, based on the difficulty of the track. That's cool. So is it going to show you like on the little computer screen itself? Like, are you going to be following along the map or is it just kind of changing the resistance of the trainer? 
So it's going to be doing both. So when you pull it up, it'll show you the map. You don't necessarily have to follow it on the map, especially if you do prefer to see more of your data instead. So it'll show you how the resistance is increasing or decreasing and also show you where you are and your progress through it. I guess like if you wanted to train for a race that you haven't been to before, could you just load that GPX file or something into the computer and then ride that route? What you would be able to do is you could actually do it all right from your phone. You'll take the GPX file and open it with the Brighton Active app, and you'll be able to have it appear in your list of tracks and convert it to a virtual ride or even add it to your bike computer so you can follow it on the day of the race. That's pretty cool. Okay, so then you can use it two ways. So you could use that as your turn by turn on the day of the race or any ride, like a group ride, charity ride, whatever, I imagine, or have it control your smart trainer. Exactly. Pretty cool. That's neat. All right. So let's, uh, you know, I want to kind of take this opportunity because I've got a lot of questions just about GPS cycling computers in general that from a more techie geeky standpoint, just kind of start with like the number of satellites you guys are talking to. So GPS and then you guys read what else? GLONASS or there's like, there's a bunch actually. All of our devices, we have multiple satellite connectivity. With the Rider 750 and our mid-range devices, we actually do connect with five different satellite systems. So we've got GPS, of course, Glonus, Galileo, and then Beidou and QZSS, which are two newer satellite systems that some people may not be familiar with. And what this allows us to do is no matter where you are in the world, you have access to five times as many satellites. And what that translates to is when your device is trying to triangulate your position, instead of only having access to one set of satellites or two, you now have an entire sky full. And that'll help drastically increase your accuracy, drastically increase the performance and you know how your speed is recorded and you know accurately tracking your workouts. Uh, it also allows you to much faster get the satellite connection so you're not waiting a couple of minutes once you turn on the device. It connects rather quickly and hold that connection even when you're in the mountains or riding through the forest or in areas where normally you'd have more difficult time getting that connection. Cool. In your experience, is there one or more of the particular satellite networks that is better than the others, like either has more satellites, stronger, I don't know. I guess you're not really relying on a signal so much, but does one work better than the other? So we actually get this question a lot. And what it really comes down to is where you're located in the world. So for example, if you're located in uh, the US or Europe, your best bet's going to be GPS and GLONASS or GPS and Galileo just because those regional satellites are designed in a way to more accurately represent your location in those areas. For Beidou and QZSS, uh, those are Chinese and Japanese satellites. So these work very well in like Australia, Asia, uh, those types of regions. So when you're using those, your accuracy will be drastically improved in those areas. Cool. So how does that work under tree cover? Because obviously the GPS unit is relying on receiving a signal that is, it's basically, like my understanding is it's basically all the satellites are sending out a ping at a certain time and the receiver is able to pick up that time-stepped ping and compare it to the time at which it received it and therefore it knows how far away the satellites are. And so when it can get a lock on three in a single network, then it can triangulate based on all those timestamps where it is in relation to the satellites and therefore where it is on Earth. But that's got to be really hard to pick up when you're in tree cover. That's exactly right. So normally when you'd have, you try to connect to a satellite, especially when it's only GPS, 
your device is sending out pings and trying to receive those pings as well from the satellite. It's saying, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? So the cycling computer itself is also sending out pings. I thought it was only the all the signals were coming from the satellites, no? Uh, yes. Sorry. Sorry, I, I missed okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm just making sure I'm, I'm not it's, wrong. Yes. I've been known to be wrong on numerous occasions. <laughs> so it does receive the ping. So it's it's kind of asking, where am I, where am I, where am I? And receiving the ping okay. is a more accurate way to say it. When you have tree cover, what makes it difficult is it's trying to find those pings and it's getting blocked by the leaves, blocked by the trees. And when you only have access to a limited number of satellites, sometimes it'll just lose connection or have a very unstable connection and not be really sure. And that's why we try to add as many satellites as possible, especially for our mountain bikers, because when you have more access, you've got saying, where am I? And you have five different, it's like having five different people say, oh, you're here, you're here, you're here. So it's actually trying to read those signals from everybody simultaneously. Correct. Very cool. Yeah, I've noticed that. It seems like the computers are definitely getting better for mountain biking. I mean, they used to be, some of the early ones were just, and I'm not just talking about your brand, I'm just like, I remember back in the day, like it was a very loose representation of what my route actually was. <laughs> um, they've certainly gotten better. All right. So let's talk about, I mean, you got a lot of satellites, but you're still packing just a ridiculous number of sensors and electronics into a very small package. How does the general accuracy of the positioning data used by cycling computers like yours compared to something like a smartphone or like a dedicated dash mounted GPS mapping device? So that's actually a question that we get a lot and a really important question, actually. So how a smartphone tries to triangulate your location is it uses satellite, so the same with GPS, as well as your mobile network. It's reaching out to the satellites and to the towers, so your cell phone towers. And what happens is a lot of our smartphones, particularly if you use Samsung or iPhone, always connecting to the satellites requires, or the mobile network to find the location requires a lot of energy. So part of the battery-saving features, again, especially on modern smartphones, it tries to make those connections as infrequently as possible. So if you've ever used Google Fit or if you've ever used uh, Samsung Fitness, you'll notice that your location when you're riding a bike is really, like you said, a loose representation of where you actually went. Because every couple of minutes every five minutes or every two minutes saying where am i and it gets the connection where am i it gets the connection and uh, since your phone isn't really designed to be used as a gps as well the location isn't necessarily accurate like it, it does have the capability to be very accurate but in order to save power it usually will have a lower accuracy representation which can be frustrating especially when you're trying to track your fitness you know it is very important to have, you know, your line, know where you are, you know, know where you've been. And then I'm guessing like, you know, a Garmin or I don't even know if TomTom is still around, but like the dash mounted ones, those, those are probably relying solely on GPS. So I imagine they have a similar accuracy as cycling computers or are they because they're a little bit bigger? Can you have like a better GPS receiver or are they just kind of all the same? The GPS receiver does matter. So for our products, we always start with the GPS receiver. So we try to put in the highest quality one because especially for a GPS bike computer, that is the most important aspect. <laughs> if you don't have that's the kind of the point, right? <laughs> exactly. If you don't have the good connection and you don't know it's not getting the speed correct, then you've kind of already missed the target. <laughs> TomTom or Garmin, what they usually do or what they've done in the past is they connect to GPS. And since it's only being used for car, 
it, it does work the same way. So it is ping. It's receiving the pings saying you're here, you're here. And uh, when you're in a car, you're usually driving on you know preset roads. So you're not going off on a mountain bike trail. You're not going on a cycling path. So it's able to use that information as well as map information to kind of make sure you're on a road to accurately represent where you are, if that makes any sense. I wonder if that's, yeah, well, it it kind of explains because like sometimes like if I miss the exit or if I accidentally take an exit and I ride driving along on the road, it'll for, you know, like a good 400, 500,000 feet, it'll kind of show that I'm still on one when I'm really on the other. And then all of a sudden it'll be like, oh, oh, you're over here. Exactly. You know, like, oh, you accidentally took that exit. <laughs> let's let's fix this. <laughs> Whereas I think like the cycling computers seem to catch that a little bit more quickly. Okay. Well, that's good. It's actually, I don't want to say a better answer than I was expecting, but like, I'm glad there was actually an answer to that. I, I just kind of thought, oh no, they're all the same. I was like, great. Well, awesome. So then if I were in an area, like, let's say I was riding my bike through like Manhattan, right? With a ton of skyscrapers and and stuff, because your cycling computers are able to be synced to your phone via Bluetooth. Can you also pull from that cellular triangulation data that your phone is getting to then help you map in like a really dense urban environment? So for our devices, we actually don't use the cell phone connection to triangulate The reason for this is, like I said, sometimes that data can be somewhat unreliable. And even if you've tried using your phone, for example, in a city, you'll notice that the GPS also has a bit of difficulty. So you'll kind of bounce around on streets every now and then. Yeah. Because what's happening is when you're next to a skyscraper, you're receiving a signal sometimes off of a reflection or it's bouncing off of buildings. And that's what kind of throws you around. Interesting. Okay. That's weird. Yeah, I thought it was just like, there wasn't a signal and then there was, but the bouncing thing, that it seems like that almost makes it worse. Sometimes it bounces off and it misrepresents where you are because of that, because it's taking a little bit longer, a couple of like microseconds to say, oh, I'm here. And then using that, the time information, so how long it takes from the satellite to your device, it'll misrepresent, oh, you're actually further than where you are, closer than where you are. And yeah, so again, with the multiple satellites, we try to alleviate that because when you have more access to the sky and more access to more satellites, you'll have a better representation. You have a higher chance of getting that connection like directly to the satellite. So now this is going to be a super geeky question, but like, let's say you are somewhere where you're capable of hearing and seeing signals from three, right? Let's just say it's GPS GLONASS in Galileo. Is the device able to you know, if it's only seeing like one satellite from one, two from another, and two from another, can it use that data triangulate, or do you really need like three from one network to be able to position yourself? So it can use three from any network. It doesn't matter because the satellites all know where they are and they have that information when they're sending out the ping. So what the device does, it's it's cool. So you technically only need like one. If you had those three networks, you would only need one satellite from each of the three to be able to know where you are. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. All right, let's switch gears. I, th- I think we've covered okay. GPS. <laughs> so, but speaking of like, okay, well, actually, when I take, if I were to pull apart a Brighton computer, what percentage of the guts inside it is that GPS? Like how big are the actual GPS receivers? Like how do you even, you know, because there's no antennas sticking out. So how are you getting the signal through the case, through the screen to this thing? Are there antennas like, you know, like the original iPhones kind of use the case as an antenna? Is it, are you pulling tricks like that or? How a modern GPS receiver works is they're actually quite small and they look like a uh, like a microchip, kind of. They range from the size of like a dime to the size of a quarter 
something like that. And uh, they're located, again, right under the screen. It's kind of where all the guts are of the device. The antenna just is a wire that's located on the inside. So it either normally wraps around or you know is around the periphery of the device. This makes sure that the screen and the other components don't really get in the way of the connection and allows you to get a much more accurate or a much more reliable and stable connection without that interference. Cool. All right. So what else do you have to shove in there? I mean, obviously a screen, some kind of processor or something to just kind of make it all work. But then I guess you have like AMP plus something, a Bluetooth something, battery. Like what else? What are people not expecting if they were to pull apart their GPS? So the internals outside of, again, the GPS are pretty straightforward. Again, we, like you said, we do have the Ant Plus and Bluetooth chips so that we can connect to those, uh, the processor, the storage, you know, all of that stuff. And outside of that, it's actually pretty simple. And that actually, the simplicity is what helps to keep it working well. We have up to 30 hours or 35 hours on some of our devices, and we get that from the simplicity inside of it. So not having any of other bells and whistles that might drain power unnecessarily. So we try to keep it straightforward. Right. So when you say storage, I'm kind of curious because like I I've have like literally a micro SD card in my camera that is, you know, 256 gigabytes or something. I think I've seen a 512 one. But yeah, I still see that there's some, you know, relatively high end computers out there where, OK, if I want a map of the US, I have to delete my map of Europe or vice versa. But then there's, you know, there's some that have like entire global maps. And I think you mentioned you guys use OSM, OpenStreetMaps. Do I have the entire globe at my fingertips on the 750 or do I have to kind of download regions where I'm going to be? When the 750, you open the package, it'll automatically come with a bunch of different regions. So in the U.S., you'll have basically all of North America in it. And anywhere you go, you'll have the map on your device. The other maps are available on our website and you can download them. So you can have the U.S. and Europe. We could have the U.S. and Asia or any number of maps on it. But what we try to do is we try to keep as much storage free as possible in order for you to, again, store more rides, do more stuff without ever having to think about it. Yeah, you're able to add many more maps to the device, but we usually recommend only keeping what you need, especially if like, if you're not going to be riding in Asia, for example. We'd recommend not adding the map just because, again, you'll be able to store so many more rides and so much more data that way. Uh, okay. How big is the map file for North America? And then like, how big is, you know, if I went out for a three hour road ride, how big is that file? For a file on your, uh, if you go for a ride, for example, these range anywhere from like 100 kilobytes all the way up to one or two megabytes generally. It depends on the length of your ride, how many sensors you're using and other kind of factors like that. As for a map, the US, I believe, is about one or two gigabytes. So they are quite large. It has a lot of information on it. So how much storage is on the 750? So the Rider 750 for the internal storage goes up to 14.5 gigabytes with everything. But generally, as far as usable storage space goes after the maps, it's about 10 gigabytes. Oh, well, I mean, that's a lot. That's a ton of rides. Exactly. But it's not just for rides, though. So usually with the Rider 750, you'll want to have your... You can take maps or you can take rides from... Strava or Komoot or Ride with GPS. So if you want to follow a route, you can put it onto the device. If you want to create workouts or if you use training peaks, for example, you can download those onto your device as well. So usually it's not just the rides, it's a lot of other data. So we want to make sure we can support you to have as much usable space as possible. So you're not always plugging it into your computer. You're not always wiping it through saved space. 
you know, it's always kind of there. Cool. All right. Well, since you brought up all those platforms, that actually is kind of part of my next question is like, how in the world do you talk to all these different platforms? And I have a hunch, but let's just hear it from you. Like, I mean, you have all those different places you can upload your stuff to, all those different places you can pull GPX files from and training data and everything else. But they all seem to, like, if you work with one, it almost seems like you kind of work with all of them, but it's got to be more complicated than that. Yeah, so we have two different types of connectivity to other companies. The first one is our auto-sync. For example, if you do a ride on your Rider 750 and then you connect it to your Brighton Active app, we can automatically upload your rides to Strava, Training Peaks, Self Loops, Commute, Ride with GPS, Relive, a whole host of platforms. And what it's doing is we work with those companies, and I won't get too much into the technical aspects of this, but they give us their API and we're able to give them the types of information from our device that's available and put it into their format, if that makes any sense. Yeah, but I imagine you have, I mean, like there's such a thing as a fit file that kind of has like the basics, right? So is everybody looking at the same set of basics or does everybody require you to send like the power data in Strava's way and then the power data in Kamut's way and so forth and so on? Or are they all sort of asking for the same thing? Most of them are sort of asking for the same thing. Uh, most of them do use a fit file. Some of them don't support that. They have they either use GPX or something like that. But but those, you don't have the writing data. It's more so just the location data. So yeah, most of them are using a fit file format of some sort. Right on. Cool. So when you, I guess, in order for you to connect with Strava, or, you know, let a user connect their account with Strava and stuff and have that data auto-uploaded, do you have to get approval from Strava? Or what's that process? We do work with these companies. So usually they don't just let you automatically connect your app or your data to their service. So what we do is we work closely with them. We also work closely with the other companies so that we can tell them, okay, we have this many devices with this many users and we need to connect this many files. They help support us to do that. That way the service works well. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's in their best interest for more devices to be able to upload that data because their whole game is more users and more engagement on their platforms, right? Exactly. All right, let's talk competition. How big is Brighton in the U.S.? Like, who are you distributed through here? Right now, we're kind of just beginning to break into the U.S. market. We're not working with any distributors at the moment. We're going strictly right to the consumer. So right through Amazon, through Walmart, through different online platforms. However, Brighton as a brand, across Europe and across Asia, we're one of the top three brands in most regions. So alongside uh, Garmin, alongside Wahoo, alongside Sigma, we're usually right there at the top. Cool. Yeah, if you don't mind sharing, I'm, I'm curious because you're coming into a market that, like I mentioned in the beginning, right? Like it's kind of, do you have a Garmin or a Wahoo? The number of other brands or devices I see are few and far between. And it's not because some other brands don't make great products. It's just not what I see when I'm out riding with my friends and on group rides and events and stuff. How are you going to break into this market? How are you going to get people to pay attention, I should ask? Like you said, right now in the U.S. market, it's mostly Wahoo and Garmin. They're the undisputed top players. However, it wasn't always like that. Wahoo even is a kind of a new entry into the market, and they've taken it by storm. So what it really comes down to is the product first, because if you're a cyclist, you want the best for your bike. You, know, you want to make sure you have the most accurate, with the best maps, with the best connectivity. So we try to start from the ground. We start from our product and try to choose as many features, the best battery life, you know, the best integrations as possible. And we find that this is, well, it's resonating with users. So we are gaining a lot of momentum. 
our growth in the market is growing by leaps and bounds almost every month. And we also just try to reach the consumer where, you know, where people talk about these things. So again, we work with you guys with Bike Rumor. We give out the products to a lot of reviewers. We say, here's our product, say whatever you want, but we think you're going to love it. And normally, if you do read the reviews and you do talk to the people who are using our products, they do just, they love it. We have a lot of features. The product works fantastic. Uh, And we think that this kind of grassroots, this uh, bottom-up approach is what's going to help us slowly, but we'll grow into one of the top players in the near future. Right. Well, that's good. I mean, I guess the alternative approach is you throw millions and millions of dollars behind a big marketing campaign and athlete sponsorships, right? So, which is really expensive to do. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, and I appreciate you working with us. You know, just for full disclosure, Brighton is an advertiser on Bike Rumor, and uh, we certainly appreciate that. It's helped us do what we do to bring you killer stories and everything. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. But, uh, yeah, that's cool, man. I, I, so I'll tell you just like from my experience, and, and which is largely through watching Jordan's review and talking to him a little bit about it. But, you know, like, so when I I was used Garmin, when Garmin was kind of the thing, and then Wahoo came around, and what I really liked with theirs was the ability to use the app to just quickly customize and change the screens. And I think you guys not just do that, but you take it to another level in one regard in that you can add those graphical elements. And I think that is one feature that people are going to really, when they can actually see it in action, you know, like adding that, like, it's almost like a speedometer, right? That little circle graph of your speed or your power or whatever it is. It's just this really crystal clear visual representation of the data. That's super fun. So let me ask, like, if, if somebody, well, not if somebody like, if you guys think, Oh, you know, what would be cool is this, like, let's make it where instead of a, circle graph it does like a pie chart graph or a line graph i don't know something else right like can you just do push out an update and have five different visuals to choose from uh yeah so we actually we we work really closely with consumers so whenever someone sends us feedback on the app or send me an email saying oh you'd be really great if you had this feature we do take that super super seriously and a lot of those recommendations do end up making it in future updates can you give me an example? Like what's one or two of the most recent ones where somebody's like, hey, I'd really like it if blank. And then all of a sudden it's there. Yeah, of course. As far as uh, different types of graphics, uh, we try to add them for various sensors. So we had, uh, we started with speed, cadence, heart rate. We added power to it. You know, just with talking to the users and getting feedback like that. As far as using sensors and the types of things we do show on the screen, with the Rider 750, we added bike radar. So like Garmin Various support. So this allows you to kind of see whether a car is approaching at what speed, you know, how closely and show it right on the screen. We had a lot of users reach out to us about that. And we, again, we jumped right into it. You know, that's a fantastic idea. We should have that integration. We need to do that. Or a lot of users reach out to us about Relive and integrating with them so we can sync our rides, which is another recent example. We're like, you know, you're right. We definitely need that. That'd be fantastic. Like even for me as a user, I, I also wanted that. Yeah, it's a pretty cool service. I like that one. Does this also inform like future product development? You know, like, uh, I think Garmin's the only one right now that has that radar, which uh, to be totally honest, when it came out, I thought it's stupid because I'm going to just hear a car coming up behind me. But I think with electric cars for one, but one of my buddies has it and it's, he knows when something's coming up way before any of the rest of us do. So we can all kind of get back in the single file line, but surely you must be paying attention to like what products are selling well and thinking, you know, like, hey, maybe we need to add this or that or something else. Yeah, for sure. Again, we're not tone deaf to the market. We do rely heavily on, you know, what our users say and the feedback that we receive. But we do 
take a look at what our competitors are doing, what the market is doing in general, and we try to make sure we're up to that standard or beyond wherever possible. All right. It's a very uh, politically correct answer without giving away what you're working on. Um, okay. I got two feature <laughs> yeah, requests. We, we have something in the works. So I, can't, I can't give away too much information here, but <laughs> you'll see in the near future some of those things coming to life. Very cool. Especially for a lot of our users. They'll see, ah, oh, you know, the feedback we gave them just really, they took it to the next level. That's cool. All right. So I got two feature requests and I, I'm curious as to your input on them because thus far, nobody has uh, seemed to do anything with this. All right. Number one, I think is going to be the probably the easier one, but you know, like there's mounts now where I can attach my headlight under my cycling computer, but why not just put like a bright enough flashy blinky headlight built into the computer itself? I think Polar had one for a little while, but it was, it was just so tiny. You know, like all I really want is something so the cars to be able to see when I'm coming up. Are you guys any interest in that one? So this is something that we've considered ourselves as well. And there's kind of two or three issues that come into play when talking about using the bike computer as a headlight as well. The first one, like you said, is usually it's too small and the light's not going to be bright enough. For me, I have the big borderline spotlight on my bike. <laughs> I want to make sure people really see me coming, especially when you're riding at night. And it also comes down to battery life. We try to support the highest battery life in the market. So a Rider 750 has 20 hours, the 320 and the 420 have 35 hours of battery life. We, we go as high as possible so that you don't have to think about charging it all the time. You don't have to think about the inconveniences with that. It'll support you on any ride you go on. I kind of figured the battery was going to be the answer to that one. but Yeah, so when adding a light to it, the battery would just get drained so quickly that it would kind of make it difficult to use it as both a bike computer and a light. It's It'd have to be kind of one or the other. All right. Well, maybe somebody will end up making a light that molds to the shape of the, you know, so when you click it on, it, uh, it, it follows the line. So it's a little more aerodynamic, sleeker package. But okay, my second one, and I swear someday somebody's going to do this and I'm going to be the happiest person ever. Can you build a garage door opener, like a programmable universal garage remote into the bike computer so I can roll up, tap a button on my computer, and my garage opens up. Oh, that's actually a very good idea. So speaking of user <laughs> user recommendations, <laughs> perfect example right here. I have the same exact issue. You know, I have, uh, it's not just a garage door opener, it's also like an elevator lift to go in mm. and out of my building. So I was thinking the same thing. I've been lobbying for that from the inside. Don't worry. <laughs> all right, all right. We're gonna, we're gonna united front here. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Thomas, man, I appreciate it. Is there uh, anything I didn't ask? Anything about Brighton or you guys' tech that you think people should know? So as far as our products go, I guess the only thing that we really didn't touch on was sensors, which I can tell you a little bit about now. For almost all of our, for the Rider 750 in particular, we do Ant Plus and Ant Plus LEV, Ant Plus FEC, so fitness equipment control or e-bike support connectivity. And what this allows us to do is connect to a whole wide variety of sensors that you normally wouldn't be able to connect to before. So we have the speed, cadence, heart rate sensors. We've got the power meter. We have the smart trainer support. If you have an e-bike, so anything with Shimano steps, for example, uh, we can connect to that as a sensor. We can display all of that data and show it up on the device. And is that that's different? That's not Ant Plus or Bluetooth? That's something else? For the e-bikes, that's Ant Plus LEV, which is a slightly different, it's it's the same as Ant Plus, but the protocol is slightly different to add a little bit more information. Hmm. 
So it's showing you a lot of information, like uh, it shows you the battery life, the range, the the gears in some cases. It can provide that information. That's cool. And is Shimano Steps the only one right now that uh, transmits that? So for, as far as e-bikes go, uh, Shimano Steps we have the most integrations with, so it can show the most amount of uh, features. Uh, we can connect to other Ant Plus LEV connectable e-bikes as well. So as long as it has that connection, we can display the data. Very cool. But with the Shimano steps, we'll just show a little bit more. All right, on. That's pretty neat. There we go. I learned something. I appreciate it. Yeah. On that note, I would say if you haven't already seen Jordan's review of the Brightons, the Rider 750, check it out. And uh, we'll put links to that and some other fun stuff from Brighton in the notes for this episode. And um, yeah, man, Thomas, thanks for making the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great to talk to you a little bit about Brighton and introduce people. I hope you enjoyed that. Thomas's voice is so pleasant, but I really found his intel on how GPS worked really interesting, especially the device can pick up signals from any one satellite network. And as long as it can find any two other satellites, regardless of which network they're on, it'll be able to find your position and track your ride. If you'd like to see their voice activated Rider 750 computer in action, check out our video review. Just head to bikerumor.com slash podcast, where you'll find a link to the show notes for this episode with photos and more, including our link to our review. There's also a link there where you can suggest future guests for our show. So let us know who you want us to interview. Thanks a ton for listening. If you like this and you want more great interviews with the people behind the brands and products, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That really helps. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.